Thanks for checking out the First Monroe Podcast. Our hope is that you are restored by the gospel as you live devoted to Jesus. All right, should be Exodus 28. Um, just give you a quick recap of where we've been. We've been looking at a lot of different things, but over the past couple of weeks, we've been looking at this really central truth that God wants a relationship with you, um, that you were designed to be in relationship to God, and God has gone to great lengths in order to bring you into relationship to, to Him. And so we've looked at that, that theme the past couple of weeks. The problem is we've seen that, well, we've seen it in the mountain, we've seen it in the covenant, we've seen it in the law, we've seen it in the tabernacle last week, but there's this big issue we've looked at also every, every week these uh, last couple of weeks, and that is that sinners cannot enter into the presence of God. And so there's this great dilemma of if, man, God wants a relationship with us, we were created for a relationship, but since we're sinners, it hinders us from actually entering into God's presence, and which leads us to this next section of the kind of the solution to that, since we're sinners, and that is the priest. And so what we're going to look at this morning is the priest. And so if you take notes, I want to give you the main point up front that we'll see. And it is this, sinners need representation before God. Sinners need representation before God. You, since you and I are sinners, in order to bring us into God's presence, we need someone to represent us. And this is this whole thing that we're going to look at. We're, we're about to look at chapters 28, 29, and 30. And it deals with the installation of the priest. And so we're going to walk through these things. Now, one of the things I, I think is going to be so good for us, that this is unfamiliar territory probably for us. Um, we didn't grow up in this environment, and so it's important for us to look at these things in order to understand the gospel more fully, to understand all that Jesus has done for us. And so as we look through these things, um, this is important. And so we're going to walk through multiple different things. We're going to look through the priests. We're going to look through the roles and all the different things. And then at the end, we're going to hopefully see Jesus. All right? So, if you take notes, I want you to look at the first, and we'll kind of divide out how we're going to look at the passage this morning. The first is, what is the role of the priest? So the first I want us to see this is the role of the priest, okay? So I want to give a, just a brief overview of what the role of the priest is. Now, when you look through the Old Testament, you'll see this. There are many different priests that served in the tabernacle, and then later the temple. They were from Aaron's family, which from, was from the tribe of Levi, and there's, so there's multiple different people in this, but there's one particular priest that we're primarily going to look at this morning and think about, and that is the high priest. So there's multiple priests that served within the temple and tabernacle, but there was one in particular that was the most important, and that was the high priest, and that's what we're going to look at. And so my question is, what was the role of this high priest? Now, when we think of priests, you may think of like leading in worship, sacrifices, ceremonies, and all those things are true. But there's one primary role that the high priest held, and that is this idea they represented the people to God. So this is their primary role. The high priest was the representative of the people of Israel to God in sacrifices of worship, sacrifices of atonement, all these different things. Let me show you this. Hebrews chapter 5 verse 1. We're going to look at Hebrews a lot later. But here's just one verse that just it summarizes this. Notice what it says. It says, For every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sin. So right there, it just sums it up very clearly. What was the role of the high priest? The high priest's role was to represent. They went in on behalf of the people to represent them. We've already seen this. And so just think back in Exodus just a little bit. We've already seen this. You remember Moses? Moses has been the representative of God to Pharaoh. 
So God didn't speak straight to Pharaoh. Moses is that representative that goes on behalf of God to Pharaoh. But we've seen this too, that Moses is God's representative to Israel. And so you remember on the mountain when he goes to Mount Sinai and he gives the law and covenant, all the people don't go up to the mountain. Who goes up for them? Moses does. Moses goes to represent them. And so in this section, there's this transition in Exodus 28 where this is about to transfer to Aaron and his sons that they will now become the high priest and they will now become the representatives to God. Okay? Now, when we think about this concept, representation before God, now while that may be a little unfamiliar for us to think about this idea of high priest, I think we understand this concept just in day-to-day life, don't we? Like that you need representation. So let's just go through a couple things. This is why we elect city council people to represent us, governors, state representatives, state senators. So we, we elect people who stand on our behalf or our district and our people, then they represent us to them. Think about going higher. Think about U.S. senators, U.S. representatives. There are people that go to Washington and they represent us or they're supposed to represent us there. We like the president and the president is to represent the U.S. So think about this. You can't just get a meeting with the leader of China. You can't just call him up and meet with him. You have to have someone, the president, to meet on our behalf to go in to make uh, relations with all these different countries. But not just in politics. But just think of just normal life. You need a lawyer. If you're in a case, a legal case, you need someone to represent you. Think about if you're buying or selling a house, you need a realtor to represent you, to go before you as you're doing these things. So just think, while this idea of a priest may be foreign to us, a high priest, we understand the need for representation, don't we? Like, we need to be represented. We have to have someone to represent us to someone. And since Israel is full of sinners... And sinners can't go into the holy place that we looked at last week. They cannot enter into the holy place of the tabernacle. They can't make atonement for their sins. They needed someone to represent them to go into the holy place, to go into the holy of holies, to make an atonement for their sin, to give up acts of worship and sacrifices, hence why it's given the high priest. He is that person that will go in to make sacrifices of atonement for them. He will represent them. Okay? So that's the first, the role. Second is the garments of the high priest, is the garment of the high priest, okay? This is laid out in chapter 28. Now, these are the garments that the high priest would wear. And we're going to throw up a picture of the garments. And so we're going to refer back to this just because sometimes it's hard to visualize. And so I want you to be able to just see it up there. And so I'm going to go through the different components that make up this garment. And everything has a purpose and a significant purpose in what it, what it has, Okay? So you, you can read through chapter 28. I encourage you maybe later this week, read through it. You'll see all the different things, but I'm going to just give you a summary, okay? So the first is, is the ephod, all right? On the ephod, on the picture, it's this, the colorful part of the robe. So if you see the colorful part of the robe, this is what the ephod was, okay? Let me read this. This is in uh, verse 12 of 28, and here's what he says to describe this, because there's these two distinct stones that were on the, e, the ephod, Okay? In each stone, one had six tribes of the Israel names on it, and the other had the other six. And here's what it says in verse 12. And you shall set two stones on the shoulder pieces of the ephod as the stones of remembrance for the sons of Israel. And Aaron shall bear their names before the Lord on his two shoulders for remembrance. Okay? So they just picture that, 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 that colorful part of it, and then those two stones that are on the shoulder. This was the ephod. All right. The next is the breastplate, which represents in those multiple different stones right in the very center. And so on this, it had 12 distinct stones, and each stone had the name of Israel, on, of one of the tribes on the different stones. Here's what it says in verse 29. 
So Aaron shall bear the names of the sons of Israel in the breastplate of judgment on his heart. And when he goes into the holy place to bring them to regular remembrance before the Lord. So this is this breastplate that he would wear over it. All right. Underneath those things was the robe. So this was the all blue, the beautiful garment that you see. At the bottom of it, it's hard to tell what is at the bottom, but there is these pomegranates that are sewn down as the tassels of those, and there's also these bells that are attached to the garment so that when he goes in, the high priest goes in the Holy of Holies, it sounds like bells when he would walk in. Here's the reason why, verse 35. And it shall be on Aaron when he ministers, and its sound shall be heard when he goes into the holy place before the Lord, and when he comes out so that he does not die. So, so he doesn't die. So that's good. So he has bells on it, all right? And so the bells was basically announcing, hey, God, I'm coming in. I'm coming into the holy place. Now, this, this, these bells weren't because God didn't know, he's, you know this veil had some magical thing where God couldn't see through the veil. I mean, God obviously knew who exactly was about to walk through. But it was more of this remembrance for the high priest to understand the, the, the severity that he's going in, that, that literally if he goes in... Uh, not holy and not consecrated, that it will result in his death. So it's this, this reminder, these bells, that he was going into this very special place. All right? The last part of the piece of it is the turban. And this is what existed on the head. And it had this gold plate that was on the front. And in Hebrew, it says, holy to the Lord. And this is what was described on this turban as he would walk in. Again, reminding us that the only thing that could enter into God's presence was that which is holy. And that which is righteous and that only holy things could come into the presence of God. So again, this is this idea when the high priest would walk in on this turban would be written holy to the Lord. All right, a couple of things I want you to notice about these garments because you're like, man, that's really elaborate, those different garments. But again, I want you just to remind you, do you remember last week we looked at the tabernacle? And one of the things about the tabernacle is it reminded us of Eden. All of the colors, the stones, all the different things. So everything at play here on this garment, it again, it's a reference back to Eden. Beautiful. The stones that's mentioned are the same stones that is mentioned in Genesis chapter 2. The pomegranates represent the tree and the tree of life, the water, the rivers, all the beautiful tapestry and the colors that exist within this garment. Again, reinforce this idea of Eden. It reinforces us this idea that, man, we were designed to meet with God. And as he goes to meet, again, all these, is, it's very similar to what's on the tabernacle, these beautiful garments that he would wear. All right? But there's another reinforcement and a symbolism in everything that this is on this. Represent the people to God. That's what he was to do. He, as he comes in, he would bear the names of Israel on his shoulders and on his breastplate. And so every time he went in, it's a reminder. He's going in on behalf of all the tribes of Israel, over all of the people. As he walks in, this garment is a reminder of that role that he plays. He's a representative of the people to God. All right? So look at the next section, and it's the consecration of the priest, okay? So this is, I just, just, this is a question that I had, is if sinners can't enter into the presence of God, then what makes the high priest so special? Because isn't he a sinner too? And the answer is yes. He is also a sinner, and because he is a sinner, in order for him to be able to approach what happens in chapter 29 and 30, he lays out that he has to be consecrated. So in order for him to take this special duty of representing the people in the holy place, then he has to consecrate himself. You could translate it to set him apart or to make him holy in order to enter into the holy place and to represent the people in sacrifices and atonement. Okay? 
And so it's like this ordination service that they lay out in chapter 29, and it begins to describe this thing. Every time there's a new high priest, they had to go through this consecration ordination process. So every time this would happen. So let me just lay out the, the, the consecration process. First, it involved a lot of washing. There's a lot, if you read chapter 29, it describes all the different, the water, the way they had to wash the clothes, they had to wash themselves. Again, just signifying this, that they needed to be cleansed. There is this anointing oil that would be poured over them. Chapter 30 actually describes what goes into this holy anointing oil. And so again, this idea is it's symbolizing this, this anointing of being made holy and sanctified. So it has this picture and symbolism. But one of the main things that was a part of this process of consecration was sacrifices. So there's multiple different sacrifices. One of, if you read in this, it says this, that a bull was placed at the entrance of the holy place. And they would take a bull, and Aaron and his sons had to place their hands on the bull's head, and then they would kill this bull. Now, this is a symbolic of them transferring their sins onto this bull, into this bull. And so if you think about it, the sin is transferred to the bull. The bull then bears the weight of the penalty of their sin, and therefore it is killed. So again, we've seen this some with the, the Passover lamb, but it's this idea, and we, we understand it's a gospel term, this idea of, of substitutionary atonement. That in order for things to be forgiven, Hebrews says this, that it has to be the shedding of blood. This is the penalty of sin. So notice this. In order for them to be made right and holy, their sin has to be transferred to this animal. And this animal dies on their behalf, again, to show the severity of sin. That sin is this really bad. And so because of this, they transfer. And again, it's, it's this substitutionary atonement. Again, pointing us to Jesus. Why he had to die in our place. He had to take on our sinfulness. And so this is what they had to do. They had to lay their hands on this bull and it would be killed. Then after that, they would have to take two rams and they would do the same thing. They would lay their hands on the ram. And it, again, it was the symbolic transferring of their sin. And the rams would be killed. And they would take the blood. They would throw it against the altar in order to sanctify the things within the tabernacle. This whole process that's laid out would be a seven-day process. Now, again, if you think of this idea of seven days, again, it takes us back to Eden. It takes us back to creation. How many days did it take God to create all things? Seven days. In Hebrews, seven is this sign of perfection. So, again, it's this idea, this whole sanctification process for the high priest was this seven-day-long perfection process in order to set them apart to make them holy. All right? And it was after this that Aaron then could enter into the holy place without dying. And now he could enter into, he was set apart, he was made holy, and now he was able to enter in and represent the people on their behalf. And this is also lays out in there one of the things that they had to do over and over again is every day they would have to, in the morning and the evening, sacrifice a lamb just to be reminded of the sacrifice that is needed for them to go in. Now, we're not going to go there, but you can turn to Leviticus, and the beginning of Leviticus lays out this in way more detail. It lays out all the details of the priest, the sacrifices, the atonement, the acts of worship, the day of atonement, all the different services that the high priest would do. Now, just to take a step back, everything seems good and right, doesn't it? I mean, it's fixed. I mean, th- think about it. I mean, I mean, in order to approach God, we have to be holy. We need representatives. And this seems to fix the whole process. The process is laid out. There is a high priest. He will represent the people. The sacrificial system is in place. But there's a humongous glaring issue with all of this. And the issue isn't because of the high priest or the role of the high priest. It isn't because of the sacrifices. It's because of the sinful heart. So again, we've seen this all the way. The problem wasn't the law. The problem was with the sinful heart. They couldn't keep the law. It's the same thing. Here's this glaring issue. Is that the high priests were also sinners. 
And the people of Israel needed representation. But the problem is the high priest were sinners too. Let me just give you a couple examples. We'll get there in just a second. But in Exodus chapter 32, Aaron, who's been consecrated as the high priest, will then lead into worship of an idol of a golden calf. The one who is to represent them before God, who is to be that that is set apart and holy to the Lord, leads all of the people in making and forming and worshiping a golden calf. If you turn to Leviticus chapter 10, you'll, you'll read this story of Aaron's sons. And they authorize, they do this unauthorized fire before the Lord. They don't go along with what God had required of them. And fire comes out and consumes them and they die because of their sinfulness. As you continue to walk through the Old Testament, it's this constant issue that comes up. That the priests, the high priests that were meant to lead in worship, they were meant to represent the people, are constantly doing unholy things. The prophet is constantly condemning the high priests about how they have unholy habits and unholy behaviors. They mix what is holy with that which is not holy. And it's this whole issue that exists all throughout the Old Testament. The system's in place. The law and the covenant are in place. The problem is the hearts of people. In the hearts of even those that are meant to be the, whole, the, the, the high standard of the high priest, even those cannot even keep the covenant. Even those are breaking the law. So, so let me just very clearly, if I can, lay out the issue. Here's the issue. People, and not just people of Israel, all of us, are created to be in relationship to God. The problem is that people are sinners and we cannot enter into God's presence. And so we need representation before God. If we're going to be made right with God, be brought in a relationship to God, we need representation. You need representation. You need someone to go before you to God because you can't go to God because of your sinfulness, because of our sinfulness. If we went before the presence of God as we were, man, we would all die. And so that's a huge dilemma. And so throughout this, it's like this dilemma, but there's no solution to it because the person that is to represent them fails miserably every single time. So the question is, what, what are they to do? What are we to do? If we need someone to represent us before God, but the high priest in the system doesn't work because of the sinful hearts, then what do we do? And this is what leads us to, as we've done the past couple of weeks, it leads us to the gospel truth. And this is what we see in the fulfillment of all that we see. And it says, if you want to write this down, Jesus is our great high priest who represents us before God. That this is the solution to all of these things that you need representation. We said this at the very beginning. Sinners need representation before God. And here's the beautiful truth and that we see in the gospel. That Jesus is your perfect representation. That he is the great high priest that's able to go in before us and restore to us relationship to God. I said this at the very beginning when we walked through Exodus. It says, as we walk through this, it is going to continually show us pictures of the gospel over and over and over again. I want to read this, just this quick quote by Tim Chester. Listen to what he says. Talking about the Old Testament. Picture after picture in the events and the people and the rituals of the Old Testament. All are consecrated into one person, which is Jesus. All of them are required to express the fullness of his person and his work. It is in them and through them that we see the riches of God's grace in Christ. They pile on top of each other. No one image expresses the fullness of Christ and his work. That's why the Bible has been described as the treasury of Christ. In it we find the jewel after jewel, each a beautiful picture of Christ. And each one is held up to the light to be appreciated and to be enjoyed. And here's this thing that we've been doing over and over again these past couple weeks is all of this is about Jesus. Like all of it is. Like all throughout the Old Testament. That's why he does at the end of the road to Emmaus, Jesus looks back and points back to Moses and said, all of these things, they were pictures and shadows of me. 
Like Again, it's pointing to this thing, man, you need representation, I need representation, and all of this is pointing to the beauty of Jesus. I mean, think about what we've seen already. That Jesus is our Passover lamb. That Jesus is the rock in the wilderness that bore the judgment of God that we deserve. Jesus is the fulfillment of the law and the covenant. That Jesus is himself the tabernacle that has come to dwell with us and be among us. And as we see here, Jesus is our high priest. And he is the one that is to represent us before the God. And this is why Jesus is the great and more better high priest. He is the best high priest that anyone could ever ask for. And this, again, throughout all the different pictures, it's always showing us, again, giving us deeper pictures of what Christ has done in the gospel for us. So here's what I want to do, just so I can make it very clear for us, is I want to give us a couple reasons of why Jesus is the better high priest. Okay? He is the great high priest who represents us to God, but why? What makes Jesus better? Okay? So I want to, if you take notes, I want to list a couple of these for you, and we're going to go through a bunch of scripture in Hebrews, just so you can see it. All right? So if you take notes, here's the first reason. Why is Jesus better? Number one is because Jesus is holy. Number one, Jesus is holy. Hebrews 7, 26 through 28, here's what it says. For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. He has no need like those of the high priest to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and then those of the people, since he did this once and for all when he offered up himself. For the law appointed men in their weakness as high priests, but the word of the oath which came later than the law appoints a son who has been made perfect forever. So notice what he says in this. He says that he is unstained, he is holy, he is innocent. He doesn't have to be like the high priest to get consecrated. God, Jesus didn't have to get consecrated. He didn't have to be made holy, that he already was holy. That Jesus Christ, the God-man, that he was God in the flesh, that he was holy and perfect. That he didn't need to be washed free of sin. He didn't have to be washed for seven days. He didn't have to make atonement for his sin because Jesus was absolutely perfect and holy in every way that we failed. We've already seen this. In every way that we have failed to uphold the law, Jesus fulfilled it perfectly. So again, why is he the better high priest? Because he is holy. He doesn't need to be consecrated. He doesn't have to be made right. He already is right. Therefore, he has access into God. That's the first reason. Second is because Jesus is eternal. Hebrews 7, 22 through 24 says this. And Jesus, the better guarantee of a better covenant. Verse 23, the former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. But he holds his priesthood permanently and continues forever. So notice what he says. This is why he is better is because it says this. Here's the issue. Even if he had a good high priest, guess what? He was going to die. And then it's probably going to follow with someone who was corrupt. And it was this constant thing. They didn't have constant representation. And here's what he's saying about Jesus, why he's better. It's because he's internal. He says he holds his priesthood permanently and continues forever. So there's never a blip in his intercession for us and what he does on our behalf as our high priest. He is eternal. Therefore, this makes him the better high priest. Number three, it's because Jesus made a better sacrifice. Hebrews 9, 11 through 15. But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, he entered once and for all into the holy places, not by means of blood of a goat or calves, but by the means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh... How much more will the blood of Christ, 
through whom the eternal Spirit offered up himself without blemish to God, purifying our conscience of dead works to serve the living God. So here's what he says. The priests entered in. No, no, you remember how they entered in? They had to put their head on a bull. But here's the problem. They had to do it every single time. Because it wasn't good enough. The sacrifice, again, even if you think about the Day of Atonement, it, it, was, it had to be every year. It didn't last. And here's what he's saying. Here's why he's the better high priest. Is notice this. Not only is he the high priest, but Jesus is also the sacrifice. That it's because of his perfect righteous blood that guarantees us entrance into the holy places of God. And not in, in something, I mean, we're talking about in the actual presence of God. Not a representation of his presence. In the actual presence of God in heaven where God is seated on his throne. That because of his precious blood, the spotless lamb of God, he entered into, and this is what makes him the better high priest. He has a better sacrifice to offer. And it's not bulls and rams and goats. It's himself. It's the spotless blood of Jesus that gives us entrance into the holy places. Last one, number four. Why is he better? Jesus intercedes for us. Here's what Romans 8, 33 and 34 says. Who shall bring any charges against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Verse 34. Who is to condemn? Christ is the one who died more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. And here's why he's better. is because Jesus is able to intercede for us daily. And he's not interceding in a temple. He's not interceding in a tabernacle. That Jesus is actually seated at this very moment at the right hand of God, interceding for us. He is representing us before God. Now, I want to bring back this picture, if you remember back to the image and the, the picture of the outfit and the garments they wore. You remember what he, they had on? They had these stones on the breastplate and on the shoulder. And what was it? It was the names of the tribes of Israel. So every time he walked in, the high priest, he carried in with them the names to intercede on behalf of them. Here's what I want you to just picture this, this beautiful idea. That if you're in Christ, your names are written in heaven. And when he walks before the throne room of God, your name is present. I want to read this quote. I love this quote by Tim Chester. He says this. As long as Jesus is in heaven... He will bear the names of the sons and daughters of God over his heart as, he could, as a continual memorial before God. If you've turned to Jesus in faith, he bears your name. Your name is written over his heart. My name may not literally be written on Christ's clothing, but it is good as literally there. When, Christ, when God looks on Christ, he sees me in Christ. He sees my name, myself, my identity, born by and wrapped up in Christ. Think about this picture, that right now in this moment, if you're in Christ, your name is written in heaven, and Jesus is bearing witness to God the Father right at this moment. Your name. Isn't that crazy to think about? That right now, it's, it's this idea that Jesus is at the right hand of God, standing on behalf of James Doty, right in this very moment, bearing my name. I am in Christ, and so when God looks at me, he sees Jesus. I want to give you these scriptures just so you can see this. Isaiah 40, 49, verse 16, it says this, And behold, I have engraved you on the palm of my hand. Luke 10, 20, this is what Jesus says, Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. He says this, man, imagine this. Like right now, you're, if you are in Christ, your name is written there as a remembrance. And so every time Jesus Christ intercedes for you, at this very moment, he is standing in the presence of God himself. And at this very moment, this is why he's the better high priest. Man, I was thinking about, man, man, these are beautiful, beautiful truths. 
This is who Jesus is. This is why you need Jesus. Again, this is, I, I hope, that's been my prayer these past couple of weeks. I just, I want this to be super, super clear. This is why you need Jesus. All of these pictures in, is in, the, in the loss, in the covenants, in the tabernacles, in the high priest. It's just, again, showing another depth of why you need Jesus. You need representation before God, and Jesus is your representation. That he doesn't go into a temple made with hands. He goes into the very presence of God on yours and my behalf. And he stands in our place. And this is what enables us to be in restoration and fellowship with God forever. That's good. You can say amen to that. That is awesome. But here's, what, here, but here's, here's I want to I change and I want to go this way just for a second. Because here's what I was processing this week is, is what should this truth produce in my life? Because here, here's my concern, and we've looked at this before. My concern is we can walk through all of those things we just walked through. And they can just be facts that just sit in our head. These things that we're talking through, walking through, are not just to be facts that sit in our head. These are be things that transform our life. The gospel, Christ, what he's done, his high priest, what he's accomplished through his life, his death, his resurrection, this should produce something in us. And so it's not just we just hear it and we're like, oh, neat, I got cool facts. Now I know what the garments mean. Now I know what the high priest is. That's not, if, that's, if you walk away with that's the point, then I failed and that's the, you shouldn't have walked out with that. Here's what I want you to walk out. Man, it's about Jesus. You need Jesus and I want you to see him. Because that's what this is about. It's about him. And if you know him and you see these truths, it should produce something in your life. So I, wanna, I just want to basically give you two things that, that as I walk through Scripture. This what, if you grasp this truth, that you are a sinner and you need representation, and Jesus is that representation because of all that he has accomplished, then here's what that should produce in us. Okay? You want to write these down. Number one is this, motivation. This truth about Jesus being our high priest and all that he has done should produce within us motivation to draw near to God. This is the big application. We've just read a lot of scripture in Hebrews. And the predominant application of Hebrews is this. Because of Jesus, you should draw near to God. Let me, let me show you this. Hebrews 10, 19. Notice what he says. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter into the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way he opened up for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh... And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, 22, then let us draw near with true hearts, full of assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience, and our bodies washed with pure water. So notice what he says. In light of you having a great high priest in Jesus, here's what that should do for you and me. He says, then let us draw near to God. That it should be the motivation that you need to draw near to God. Let's look at one more. Hebrews 4, 16. I'm going to read verses 14, the beginning of it, and then I'll read 16. Verse 14 says, Since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, verse 16 says this, Then let us with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, since we may receive mercy and find grace in our help in time of need. Again, notice what he says. In light of him being our great high priest, here's what it should produce in you. Motivation to draw near to God. Since we have a high priest, this should motivate us. That the gospel is our motivation to draw near to God. As Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, he says this, For the love of Christ compels us. That this should be our motivation in our hearts. It should be this, to draw near to God. That if we really believe these truths about what Christ 
has done and is currently doing for us as our high priest right now, that truth should produce motivation in our hearts to be near to God. So let me do this. I want to just kind of flip it on us just for a second. So let me ask this question, rhetorical question. Don't answer it out loud. How motivated are you right now to enter into God's presence? How motivated are you right now in your pursuit after God? Like if you were to scale from 1 to 10, if you were to rank yourself and say, man, what is my, what is my motivation at this moment to pursue God? What would you say? Again, don't say it out loud. This won't be on the screen, but I wrote this scripture down. It always um, convicts me when I hear David and the way that David pursued God. Uh, this is Psalm 63. He says, So God, you are my God, and earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I've looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and your glory. And because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. He says this, man, I, I desire to seek you. You look at Paul in Philippians. He says this, man, I'm willing to forsake all things for my pursuit of Jesus. And I was just thinking about this question, this idea of motivation. Because I, I'll just be honest with you. I mean, I think there's moments in our life where we don't feel very motivated to be with God. And I think one of the reasons why is because we're not beholding the, the wonder of the gospel. The, the, the gospel has just become facts to us. And the, and, and the gospel is facts. It is news. I mean, that's, that's what the gospel means, good news. It is good news about Jesus and what he's done for us. But this is not meant to just merely be good news that we just keep in our head. This is to be transformational for our life. And the motivation that we need to push us to God. Again, it's this whole thing, man. Because of Jesus, you can be with God. It's been opened to you. We saw this last week. The the tabernacle, the presence of God, man, it has been ripped from top to bottom. It is open to every single one of us in this room. If you're watching online, it's open to you right now. God is accessible to you right now at this very moment. And that truth, because of what Jesus did, should give us motivation to say, well, then I want to go in. I want to enter into his presence. I want to seek after God. I want to be close to him. This is the motivation that we need in order to be right with God and to move into his presence is this truth, man, that Jesus is our high priest, that we have representation, and he says that we can enter. It's, it's, it's good because of his, man, we have been, again, he says we've been sprinkled clean by his blood. We now have access into God. And so I was thinking about that, and I think we just need to just think about it in our own life, man. Do we have motivation for God? Because this is what the gospel should produce. So I think in two ways. One is this. It should, if you don't know Jesus this morning, to hear the truths of the gospel over and over again, here's what that do. That should draw you into Jesus. Like that truth about Jesus and what he has done for you, that no matter what you have done, no matter in this life, no matter what he says, man, there's no way God could love me because of this or that or my past or these things or whatever. Because of Jesus, man, you have been wiped clean. And if you place your faith in Christ, you can draw near to God. So the motivation that draws us into him is the Holy Spirit helping us to see Jesus. It's Jesus. This is, this is, it's the person of Jesus that draws us in. But even if you're in this room and you are a follower of Jesus, this is also your same motivation. We don't graduate from the gospel. The same motivation that we need to draw us into God is the same thing. It's beholding the beauty of Jesus. And it's through Jesus that shows us and gives us motivation to draw near to him. Second thing, 
of what this should produce in us. Not only motivation, but number two, it should produce something else, and that's confidence. That the truth of Jesus is our high priest, and he is representing us even at this very moment before God, should produce within us a great confidence in our walk with Jesus. There's a scripture I want to throw up on the screen, and I, I want to read that has been on my mind all week, and I just want to just share it. Um, Hebrews 7, 25. We've read around it, but we didn't read this verse yet. And I want you to notice what it says. It says, Consequently, he, Jesus, is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. There's two words that he makes that are words that should pop out to us. He says, He has saved us to the uttermost and he lives to always make intercession for us. So this idea, uttermost. So think about this idea. Here's what it means. Completely. Meaning this, that his, what he did is able to save us to the uttermost. Meaning it is able to save us completely. That means this, that there's nothing lacking in the sacrifice of Jesus. There's nothing else you need. That everything you need in order to be saved and be made right with God is in the uttermost in Jesus. That he is saved. I mean, doesn't that make you feel good? Jesus didn't just save you. He saved you to the uttermost. Like that is beyond what we can comprehend. So again, even in moments where you're like, well, I don't believe. I, I don't think I'm forgiven. Or, I mean, how could God? It's this. He saved you to the uttermost. That his sacrifice for you and me is complete. And that should produce within us confidence. But there's another word that he says, and I love that he says, he says, always. That Jesus lives always to make intercession for you and me. So that means right now, in this very moment, Jesus is seated at the right hand of God, interceding for you and interceding for me, and he will always do that. There's never a moment that that will stop. Always. I love the way Sam Storm puts it. I want you to listen to what he says. He says, the fact that Jesus is always and forever on our side as he sits at the Father's right hand is the reason why we can have confidence that the salvation he gives us is complete, comprehensive, and all-inclusive. In other words, if Jesus did not always live to make intercession for us, he would not be able to save us. But since he always lives to represent us before the Father, to plead our case, and to defend us against Satan's accusation, we can rest confidently in the salvation that he died and rose again to obtain for us. Here's what he says. Jesus Christ saved you to the uttermost, and at this very moment, he is living at all times to represent you before the Father at every single moment of your life. So here's what that should do. Man, that should give you confidence. It's why throughout Hebrews, he says this over and over again, you can come confidently to the throne room. This is why it says you can enter confidently into the holy places. It's because of what he is, because he is at this very moment interceding for you. So here's what that means. Every moment you get up, in moments where you feel close to God, in moments where you feel distant to God, in moments where you feel good, in moments where you feel bad, in moments where you're struggling with sin, in moments where sin overtakes you, in moments where your heart is fickle, in moments where your heart is apathetic to the Lord, in moments where you're hit by grief and the pain of this world that we live in, in moments where you're tired and worn out, in moments where you don't feel forgiven or a son and a daughter. Here's what this means, that in every moment of your life, you have the confidence to enter into the presence of God. I mean, I was just thinking about that. Like, like I remember growing up in, in, in my dad's office. 
And of course, obviously, I knew he had an important job and he had clients and people that would meet with him. But like, here's the crazy thing. Man, anytime that I went to my dad's office, guess what? I, I always had access. Like, I could, I could just run in. And sometimes I would interrupt his meeting. And again, I would be like, oh, and, and he would hug me. And it's this thing of like this idea of like, man, as his son, man, I, I, people had to wait up front for my dad in order to get called back. I didn't have to wait. I just got to go straight in. And here's this reality of, of man, because of Jesus and because he's our priest, you could just go in. He's, he's your father. And it says it should produce within us not a motivation to draw into God, but it should produce a confidence in him. That man, because his sacrifice was that sufficient for us, that man, you can boldly and confidently enter into his presence at this very moment. Even at this moment, you're like, man, this week I was plagued by sin. Guess what? Even in this moment, because of Jesus, you can confidently come into his presence. You can come and you can ask for forgiveness. You can come and plead your... That Jesus at this very moment is pleading our case, constantly revealing that, man, it is done. There's nothing lacking in our salvation because Jesus has done it to the uttermost. In just a second, we're going to sing a song. And I just want to read a couple lyrics of the song just as we sing it and reflect on it. All these truths should cause us to sing and worship. Um, and it's that it was finished on the cross. And I want you to read just a couple of lines of it. And listen to what the song says. Now the curse, it has been broken. Jesus paid the price for me. Full the pardon he has offered. Great the welcome that we have received. Boldly I approach my Father, clothed in Jesus' righteousness. There is no more guilt to carry. It was finished upon that cross. Death was once my great opponent. Fear was once had its hold on me. But the Son who died to save us has rose that we might be free indeed. And I love that. Boldly I approach my Father, clothed in the righteousness of Jesus. No longer do we have to wear those silly garments anymore. That now it's this, that you are clothed in Christ. And you have access into the presence of God. Man, that truth should fuel everything about our life to motivate us and to provide us with confidence that you can have a relationship to God. Let's pray.